Welcome to Fred Basin's Diaries, read here by Clive Farahar. This is a book collector podcast sponsored by Adrian Harrington Rare Books of Tunbridge Wells. Fred Basin's Diaries, the twelfth and last part. Will I care to write on how I shall spend my Christmas day for a journal called SW3, published at sixpence? How much? Oh, nothing. We'll give you three free copies. Well, OK. It's a little paper, all run by one girl, bless her heart. One must help the little ones. I find that I've been selling second-hand books these past 25 years. I would say, never be a bookseller if you wish to leave a fortune. After all these years, I still have to take a barrow load of books out in all weathers and pitch in the gutter of a street market in order to make my living. Why don't I pitch in Mayfair? Well, I wouldn't like to be pinched for obstruction, and I'd probably starve trying to sell my stock in the West End. The posh people there gets their books mainly in posh shops. The poor pick them up at a bob and a tanner in stores like mine. Rich can afford ten and sixpence for a virgin copy, but the poor are often hard-pressed to pay the tenor, I ask, and yet both read the same books, and the same types of authors are favourites as much in Park Lane as Bermondsey. We can be poor in pocket, yet rich in literary taste. Penguins have done so much to educate folks up to the better type of novels. In my young day, it had to be Nat Gould, Phillips Oppenheim, Zayden Gray, E. Wallace, W. LeCue, for men, and for M. Corelli, R.M. Ayres, M. Pedler, E.M. Dell and Mrs. H. Wood for women. If you had these authors, you made a living. But if you didn't have them, you were in for a rough spell of poor trade. Except, of course, nasty-minded lads and lassies would seek and still seek near-knuckles sex novels. Only they didn't find them on my stall. There has been two outstanding bestsellers in my 25 years of slum bookselling, and they are King Solomon's Minds, and the sorrows of Satan. We will not call them high class, but would you dare call them low class? I wish short stories sold better, but somehow the poor seem to want a long novel than a rather bits and pieces. Shakespeare sells. Every day I could sell his writings, and the condition of the books doesn't matter. Poor clients buy to read, not to sit with a book and look out through a glass window. Some people would be truly amazed at the authors I'm asked for today. Tip-top authors like Uxley and Auden. Yes, poetry sells, but the best-selling poetry is still R. Browning and R. Brooke. Sex plays a great part in people's lives, and so books on motherhood and birth control are in constant demand. My worst sellers are cookery books. My best sellers are authors like Maugham. My worst seller is Kipling, but that is this year. What of next year? Who knows? But it's a good life for bookbearer blokes. Christmas Day. Peace on earth and goodwill towards men. Well, there's no peace on earth. The Jews are at the Arabs and the Chinese are having an hell of a time. And it looks as if I'm in for a minor hell as well. 102 Christmas cards and 157 letters from utterly strange people who have read some of my writings this year and all thought of sending friendly cards or letters to me. I'm now faced with ignoring the lot or providing 259 tuppenny apenny stamps, envelopes and lumps of paper or sorting out the wheat from the straw. This fame business is not all it's cracked up to be. I'm too popular. I must ease up. And yet in my heart, I love it. 
later boiled it down to 101 and set about answering them. My, what a job. Kept on saying thanks for the letter. Four hours later, finished 26. Oh, wick. I'm now going to get tight on the port that Lizzie has bought me for Christmas with a cardigan as a make-weight. God bless Lizzie. I told her to buy the best pair of gloves that money could buy. Was quite prepared for a five quid bill. And there they was 19 and 11 pence halfpenny. Why the hell 19 and 11 pence halfpenny? She gave the assistant the halfpenny chains and she turned her snotty nose up. Thirty years ago I was glad to have an halfpenny in my pocket. 1949. Summing up. Wrote 67 articles in the year, made 57 quid on the lot. Spent over 30 quid on stamps answering mail. Called it £5 on stationery. Probably cleared 20 quid on the year, but not a penny more. And yet I will not give up. I wrote an article in the November Writer's Method and Market magazine. Got paid $3. Today I've had my 147th letter from the USA via this article. I've spent to date well over twice $3 on stamps saying thank you to 147 letters. I had to be polite for the sake of international goodwill. I can't afford to ignore a fresh world. Several nice books from American fans make the world a little sweeter. And a Christmas pudding from Clara Dickinson in Michigan. Utterly unexpected. Such a jolly item of news is contained in a letter from a lady in Iowa. She says that at Christmas a nice little boy aged 13 and a half who lives in Iowa and whose name is Mike shot his mother and his brother dead with a rifle he was given by Santa Claus. When asked why he shot him, he said casually that he just didn't like either of them. What a nice little boy. The Daily Express reports that Sir Laurence Olivier fans waited all night for the privilege of seats for the first night of the Old Vic season of Sheridan's School for Scandal, which is tonight. I cannot call them bloody fools to wait all night, because I myself took blankets and waited all night at the Prince's Theatre to be present at the first night of Fred and Adele's Astaire in Funny Face, and again to see Noel Coward's Cavalcade and Bittersweet. They're only doing things what I did myself years ago. But now at 40, with 41 facing me in August, the will is there, but the spirit is weak. And so I sit at home and I write this in my diary. Gee, Bernard Shaw was wonderfully obliging this month to me. He wrote 152 words in 64 lines in one of his books. Probably the longest inscription he's ever written in any one of his books. Easily worth 100 quid to me. And all because of an article I wrote in Chambers' journal. I'm in Welsh Wales in a village five miles from Prestatyn and I'm having a cup of char after walking them five miles in a little cafe when a man comes up to me in a very cultured voice, he says. Do excuse me, your face seems familiar to me. Have we met before? I says, I don't think it's likely as this is for me being the first personal appearance in Welsh places. And he says, was you ever at Eden? I says, oh no. Then he says, Perhaps we've met in prison. And I says, no, I ain't been to any prison. Then he says, was you in the army? And I says, no, nor the navy or the air force. And hell, if you want a cigarette, why the devil don't you say so outright? And the strange thing is that I'd guessed it quite right. That's all he wanted. So I gave him one and he went on his way to Eton prison or the army rejoicing. Today, I sold Osbert Sitwell one of his own early novels. 
couldn't find a buyer. My Uzu opened at S and I found his address. Enterprise pays. They knew what they wanted. I once knew a young chap who only wrote on book collecting and its great joys. He had a plan. He wanted to find a book-loving woman. He found Vari's articles, an assistant public librarian whose slender pocket money always went on buying first editions. They now have a united library and four happy children. He knew what he wanted. I knew a man of 40 who wrote a detective thriller. It was his very first book and he became a bestseller and earned a little over 800 quid. He then went on a world cruise, the one holiday of his life, and he says he's now contented and will never write another book or go on another cruise. Now he's a happy jobbing gardener. He's got what he wanted. I knew of a poor little boy of 12. He wanted a railway engine that actually worked, so he wrote an essay on why he wanted that train so earnestly and won second prize in a competition. Five quid. He got his train. A bloke asked me why I don't take my barrow out in lovely sunny weather in August. Well, there are two reasons. The sun is usually so hot in August it bends my books so they look soiled and shabby even though they may be brand new. And the second reason is that 70% of my barrow clients are working class folks who go hot picking in August. So, as I can't make much money, I don't go out. I just sit in my backyard and writes masterpieces, which I never attempt to sell till late November when the snow is on the ground and I'm unable to take my barrow out for health reasons. I still possess the photo of Shelley Arp in the Russian base given him by Arnold Bennett and given by Arnold Bennett to me 22 years ago. They're both dead. I feel okay. When I was about 12... My dad had his first, last and only big racing win. He won exactly 200 quid on the Lincoln and National Double. But to tell you the truth, it caused more trouble than it was worth. Because for the next 30 years, he chased the rainbow of another big win. And it forever evaded him. When he brought the 200 quid home in notes and silver, my mother cried. It seemed to mean something akin to security. Dad promptly made some purchases to celebrate the occasion. A diamond ring, which cost about £10, for my mother, and for me, 15 shilling scooter. And there was a huge basket of fancy fruit tied up with pink ribbon that must have cost a fancy price. And the rest of the money he put away in a biscuit tin at the bottom of the kitchen cupboard, a matter of 180 quid. But not for long, in five days he'd lost the whole sum, and on the sixth day he asked my mother for five bob to tide him over till someone paid him a bill for harness work he'd done. A mug's game, all right. When my dad died at 78, he left behind a crowd of friends and 14 and ninepence. Betting kept him and us poor. I've been writing in Whitbread's journal, a very posh mag, an article on collecting this and that. Suddenly, I had a brainwave. I went to Woolworths and bought half a pound of grass seed. Then I wrote in foot-eye lettering, Whitbread's. Next, I mixed gum and grass seeds in equal amounts into the paste and poured the mixture onto the letters. But all the grass seed didn't stick to the paper as it was porous and the grass seed went all over the place. However, some stuck. So I put the paper on the ground in our backyard and covered it with one inch of earth. Each day, Lizzie and I religiously watered this piece of earth and lo and behold, in 17 days we saw the word Whitbreads on our garden path. A bee what don't drink. 
So I told Mr. Rainbird, and he wants a demonstration, so I started all over again. But the cartridge paper I used this time to spread the grass seeds on was even worse than what I'd originally used. And although I carried the paper flat without movement from Woolworth to Mayfair, when I opened the long strip of paper at Whitbreads covered with seed and proudly displayed my idea, 90% of the grass seeds fell upon lovely rich pile carpet and only few stuck to the paper. I did feel such a fool. And I expect they're now growing grass in Mr. Rainbow's carpet. Still, I do think it's a brilliant idea when worked out. Ah oh, me, the end of a beautiful brainwave. Holden and company has turned down my lovely grass seeds idea. And they turned it down because they say, What about the weeds? The weeds will grow up between the lettering and obscure the words and one could not employ a gardener to weed a word. Oh well, that's it. I did try. I've sold two books by Sheila K. Smith to her. Selling early novels to their authors is okay, because I can get their autographs as a discount. Some years ago, a Russian bloke who did a production work told me that the greatest actress in England was Peggy Ashcroft. I couldn't see the greatest. Only a neat-looking lady with some talent. But tonight, I saw the talent that the Russian bloke said ten years or more ago. The play is the heiress of the A-Market. Well, she's now the heiress to the title of the greatest actress in London. At least her acting in this play is the best in London right now. I didn't care over much for Sir Ralph, but then I seldom do. It's his nose, I suppose. But Miss Ashcroft is absolutely superb. She's a woman who, though at heart gentle, learns to be cruel. And from soft to hard in less than two hours, and so convincing in both roles, is great acting. I liked also James Donald as the suitor of her hand who finally jilts her and makes her harsh. I got his autograph and he was the most amiable about signing. I'd already got Miss Ashcroft and it was so very, very cold I didn't care to risk a chill for a duplicate. I didn't attempt to get Sir Ralph. I recall waiting over one and a half hours at Wyndham's after a lousy show he was in and so politely asking and he said, who knew, thank you so much and stalks away. What the hell he thanked me for, God knows, but at least I had nothing to thank him for. I almost ran after him to ask for my seat money back. It was a wicked waste of six bob. However, I do recall how superb he was in Sheppey, as though all's forgiven. But the heiress is Peggy Ashcroft's play, and very good luck to her, I says. A hundred and fifteen letters to date from admirals to vicars' wives as a direct result of an article I wrote on book collecting in Chambers Journal. But only one order. I charged two shillings for a much-needed R.M. Ayres novel. I'm 107 tuppenny apney stamps out of pocket. J.B. Priestley makes a fortune. Me, I linger on. Today, a slap in the face. Ask Joan Fontaine for a small signed photo someday. She replied, send 25 cents to so-and-so address in California. Hell, I can see the Treasury allowing me 25 cents to sell to the USA for a five-cent picture. Who has the other 20? 1950. Letter from a new fan in Liverpool starts. I understand that you are five foot five, small and neat. I am, alas, five foot ten, but I fold up nicely. Lord love a duck. Hector Belitho, Derek Adkins and Derek Peel called at 152 to view me today. 
Lizzie allowed them to see my study as a great favour and then redirected them to Bermondsey. They were amused and amazed to see that I was working for six shillings in a furniture shop in Tower Bridge Road, outside which for many years I sold books from a barrow. It suddenly struck me very forcibly that in all these years I made no progress at all but had enjoyed my life. I was more well known in my way than any of these three just men, but all three were far better dressed and had a great deal more money than me. What had I done with my cash? Given it away when and where needed, and used the rest to enrich my own life by doing only and exactly what myself wanted to do. I now have two ambitions to fulfil. I want to see the USA and I want to be a columnist. I'd like also, once in a blue moon, to be asked to review a novel or something readable. Blimey, I've been 27 years a bookman, and I do know a good book when I read one. I'm now back at school. I'm learning bookbinding at the Camberwell School of Arts and Crafts. Still books. How the public taste and my own taste in literature have changed. My favourite authors are now Michael Sadler, R.C. Hutchinson, Sheila K. Smith and Arthur Calder Marshall. Fifteen years ago, I'd hardly read a book by any of them. Nowadays, Morm is a back number, Bennett and Wales no longer sell, and a man of 30 yesterday asked me, who is W.W. Jacobs? Very soon, someone will ask who is A.E.W. Mason. I do admire the literary criticism of Daniel George. He could make you if you felt so inclined. Write a novel he likes and you'd have arrived. But L, I find facts a lot better than fiction, so I'll never write a novel. I'm novel enough. I'm in a bookshop seeking a Woodhouse novel for Sheila K. Smith's husband when a lady comes in and says to the bloke at the counter, Have you any books by Basin? He says, Mason? She says, No, Basin, Fred Basin. He says, No, I hasn't. Basin is a bookseller, not a book writer. She says that she's sure he's written books, and he says, If he has, they can't be much better like bestsellers, and he's not heard of them. She says, Oh, sorry to trouble you, and goes out. I followed her. I felt I had to speak to this fan of mine. Nice looking, aged about 23, very charming. And I'm about 10 yards behind her. And then I suddenly see myself in the glass of a tailor's shop near David Lowe's bookshop. And I stop. I didn't pursue my unknown fan. I looked at myself. A shabby suit of which nothing matched. Plus a gaudy USA tie which dear kind Mr Bell sent me. Plus a cap of many years wear and a scarf that Beatrice gave me, which is the loudest and the gayest colours. Add somewhat grubby hands and a chin needing a shave and I look a wreck. I felt ashamed of my appearance and went straight home and made myself look respectable. This is the first time I've ever felt ashamed of my clothes. Maybe it's because the lady looked so charming, beauty and the beast. But in this year of 1950, I've learnt a lesson that when one is famous, one must look presentable at all times in case one meets one's fans. Today is a sort of birthday. 18 years Lizzie has been my landlady, housekeeper and closest pal. The gods were kind to bring her my way. We've had lots of ups and downs, but I ain't once blacked her eye. And my cup will be full when I find a good-looking, steady, about 25 or so, to eventually become my wife. I will move from Woolworth then, and only then, and never, ever return to the slums. I've had my belly full of slums. Greatest luxury I want in life is a bathroom.
Today, Clara in Michigan, USA, orders 10 copies of this diary and it won't be published for months. I've been looking over the manuscript and it strikes me it's all bits and pieces but never a word has been written with tongue-in-cheek. There's only one way to succeed and that's to write from the art and write only upon things you know. Hence there are a great many eyes in these pages but they're all mine. Thank you, God, for being so kind as to keep me in the palm of your hand. I have 10,000 friends in every walk of life and so much to be thankful for. I'm doing at 42 much the same as I did at 15, selling second-hand books. It's just what I wanted to do. I have, of course, a few enemies, but fortunately I know my enemies, which is such an help. The whole of my diaries have been written at the same address in Woolworth. I was born in Woolworth. I do not want to die there, but truthfully, I do not envy anyone. I'm truly a very happy man. Fred Basin, 152, Westmoreland Road, Woolworth, London, SE17. That was the final episode in one of the great unsung accounts of bookselling, Fred Basin's Diary, read by Clive Farraha and sponsored by Adrian Harrington Rare Books of Tunbridge Wells. It was brought to your armchair or your car radio, as all these podcasts are, by The Book Collector. If you enjoyed it, why not consider subscribing to The Book Collector, thebookcollector.co.uk has all the details.